Gentlemen, it is your boy, Sam Gilstrap, the host and founder of the Ghost Lights podcast. Not to be confused with the Ghost Lights series. You know who you are. You are my ghosties, and I thank you so much for being with us here today. Um, I didn't bother to do the research to find out what episode number this was before. <laughs> I think we're at 49, so we're almost to 50, and I hope you'll stick with us this week because we got two episodes coming out. Um, none more important than this one right now with uh, our homie, Archie Archuleta. Archie, how's it going? Good. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing Great. good. Thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having me, especially with the last couple of guests, Sam Gregory and Amanda. It's yeah. really uh, going downhill from here. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say anything, yeah. but I knew you'd yeah. be free. Yeah. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I know. I brought that. I, I'm sorry. I set, I set that up. Well, you are um, wrong. So no. no. <laughs> well, I'm not doing anything either right now, so it's good. Yeah, right. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the song is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Please um, download that on iTunes or listen to them repeatedly on Spotify. You may remember that track from the Stanley Tucci talk show in the Hunger Games movies. That was his opening theme music, and I'm cooler than Stanley Tucci, so I thought I'd steal it. <laughs> that's a great intro though that's and then, I, I mean geez when those horns drop after the yeah, third, second yeah. month it's just a completely different world and i'm I'm buying all in that's <laughs> push those chips up there on the table <laughs> um archie how are you um as an artist handling uh the lockdown and all this covid fun oh at first i was like losing my shit mm. um <laughs> not gonna lie you know talk it to was... me about that you're not alone. Uh, I, I really remember like that that first day that it really hit like just how bad this is going to be because before all of this I was working at a wine bar mm-hmm. and so we were dealing with the day-to-day of it getting more and more extreme pretty directly um, just having these massive amounts of people flowing through and so it was always just sort of like an anxiety for those first couple of weeks and then I remember the day that John Moore had posted on Facebook that list that kept updating with the theaters that were postponing or completely canceling shows. And um, that was the same day that like I got a phone call that phone call that I had lost a gig, you know, and it just like really hit me that like, oh, shit, we're not going to be seeing each other for a while (laughs) and theaters just not going to happen for a little bit. So it was. And then let's see, like after that, there was a lot of uh, gin and tonics going around. <laughs> Not going to lie. No judgments. Yeah. Alcohol services are essential. Yeah, it, it, it was. Yeah. Especially, yeah. especially those first couple of weeks. Like once I was laid off and like between jobs, I was just like, well, I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> so throw them back. But actually now I've kind of hit like a weird zen and like i'm kind of i'm pretty good right now um good and i think that this has been a really good time to sort of reset and especially after like 
last year because both of us were pretty fucking killing it last year and uh that shit hit right yeah. <laughs> shit gets tiring though you know yeah. it's like a good time to reset and remind yourself about why you do what you do and absolutely um and great time to play the witcher 3 <laughs> <laughs> it, i uh I, I just started playing the witcher 3 and then um i I forgot that I was borrowing my access to that game from a friend of mine. And <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he shifted over that access because he too is living through a lockdown. <laughs> it's not just something that's happening to me. And uh, he, he took all of his games back. I was like, no, I just started The Witcher. It's a great time for a game that takes like 500 hours to get through all the content, you know? I'm about a week away from restarting a uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Ooh. Like it's gonna happen. I'm, Ooh, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna play it for the. Uh, this would be the fourth time, um, second time in a lockdown. It's no. <laughs> might as well, you know. Yeah. Well, like this is the time that I'll be a completely terrible person. Like I'll. Oh, uh, you gotta I'll have that villain like, played. Yeah. yeah. It's like I, playing I, through I, Mass Effect, like the Renegade playthrough. We're just punching everyone in the face. That's. That's the fun one, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are, What are your uh, top four? What's your Mount Rushmore of video games, Archie? Oh, just what I brought up. Mass Effect Two uh, is gonna be. Mm, Want to say number one? Mm -hmm. It's between that and Skyrim. Okay. Um, Skyrim's easily the game that I put the most time into. Oh, it takes um, a lot. And then honestly, Witcher Three will probably make its way up there now. Now that I've. I knew it was one of those games that like I had to have a huge chunk of my time uh, available to play it and what better time. And it's, it's incredible. And then um, one more probably Halo three. That was the one that really got Halo me. Halo three. Yeah. Oh my God. Really Dude, talk me. to me. How does Halo three out of the entire canon of uh, sure. Master Chief, how does sure. Halo three make your Mount Rushmore Mount Rushmore of all-time games. It popped my cherry, you know? It was my first... <laughs> it, it was the Halo game that got me into online playing. It was the first M-rated video game that my parents let me play. Nice. Um, and it was just because it was, like, fucking aliens, and it was. it's kind of a little bit cartoony still, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my parents uh, let me play that, and um, it really just got me into like actually appreciating like the art behind video games. Although objectively, having played a lot of the other Halo games, it probably wouldn't have been my favorite had I grown up with like Halo 2, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it's just, you know, it's that special little place. I hear that, I hear you. I, uh, let's see, I, I think I'm always going to, uh, I'm always gonna love the original Halo. Yeah. It's yeah. The, that's the one game that I, I'm keeping an, an entire Xbox system just because I might play that game. I'm, I'm sorry, we've got a stray, we've got a stray three year old. Selena, I need you to go upstairs, please. please. No, please go upstairs. I need you to use your listening ears. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> the kid, got, uh, kid out of earshot. Yeah. <laughs> Master Chief is the fucking best. Oh no, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> I'm so excited. I. I wasn't going to get a the new Xbox because I, I tend to enjoy the PlayStation more. Um, but Halo Infinite looks yeah. fucking rad. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That, that trailer that came out like a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh man. Live. 
tightens right up. I wish that that was like the kind of trailer that we had gotten instead of what we got out of Halo 4. (laughs) That that was sort of bringing Master Chief back would have been something well done. (laughs) I suppose what we got, but I'm I'm afraid to finish Halo 5. I haven't even started it. I died again, or you know, was. While we're talking about um, video games, I would be remiss if I did not uh, bring this up. Fifteen years ago today, these words were uttered and forever changed uh, the course of human existence. Leroy Jenkins. (laughs) Fifteen years ago today, people. I wish I'd had like the real experience of that because my only actual experience with with that was with the uh, the World of Warcraft card game the the Hearth, Hearthstone Hearth, Hearthstone Hearthstone. I have no idea. I'm not a nerd. It's Wait, what? <laughs> I just got done talking about games with you. Yes, I am totally a nerd. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. What's what's your like number one? My or, number one, like you know. Oh, I mean, I think right now Red Dead Redemption Two is special. I've never yeah. played a video game where I cried at the end. Mm. The first time I played it, I got to the end of it, and there's 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 a whole little extra bit at the end, but it the the main story's got this beautiful ending, and I've never connected with a character that wasn't I don't know a freaking Batman comic. <laughs> or right. or a great movie like i don't know like tom hanks's character in road to perdition sure like i i, I love that guy but anyway so like playing this game you you start making these choices and you start living this specific way yeah. yeah and by the end of it like when it when it gets to the end i was just i was glad i was alone to take that in <laughs> have a little sip of the statesman and uh and cry i cried my eyes out at the well, end you're not you're not like prepared to be emotionally invested in a video game, right? Oh. And so if it when it comes up on you, it hits you hard because you weren't ready for it. You yeah. know, you know in the movie when you're supposed to cry in a movie, you know, you can feel it coming and you can fucking push that shit down. Mm-hmm. But it'll come out of nowhere <laughs> with a video game, just be like, <sighs> and that was the thing too for me as I was playing Red Dead. It was like I'm I'm 36. Yeah, I I've been a game gamer for i don't know 20 plus years and i'd always played sports games and those were sports games right like you just i'm just trying to win championships with the 49ers and the michigan wolverines denver (laughs) nuggets like that's all i'm trying to do you know i create a character that's me the athlete that i will never be close to sniffing in terms of quality (laughs) like like it's all it's all a bs fantasy my mom is in the next room like getting concerned about how i'm yelling at the screen every time i throw an interception like <laughs> the most athletic that i feel like you i've ever seen you is uh great wonderfully standing on a chair and having your hero moment in flight 232 <laughs> two things about that moment I was terrified every night that I would fall off that chair. <laughs> right. Oh, and not I, not because it was dangerous. I was like right. a foot and a half off the floor, but because I know me that every once in a while I'll take I'll misstep or I'll roll an ankle. Yeah. Yeah. And just boop. 
And then the second thing is I really wished when it was time for me to get off the chair that I could do my whole foot on the back, bring the chair down <laughs> as one. But then I'm really glad you Amanda that. vetoed that because I'm also not graceful enough to pull <laughs> right. that off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, cause you know, something always like always goes re really wrong. You know, mm -hmm. I'm surprised that wasn't it. Oh, man. 232. You know, yeah. there were other things gladly that would happen. Yeah, there were plenty of other things. Yeah, like people sitting in your light. Can you move? Or, you move? or um, getting horrendously sick and losing your voice on industry night. <laughs> I got to say, it, man, Archie, <laughs> you got to step the professional game up. Got to, you know, lemon honey teas, baby. Keep Dude. that throat tight. Oh, man. I did. I did everything. You saw me. I was doing everything, everything. the whole day. It was. Ghosties at home. Archie Archuleta busted his ass for that show to get ready and to give us everything he could on industry night. And then at one of the most emotionally wrecked moments, his, his voice just bottomed out. Just yep. gone. I, I, oh yeah. That was when I was playing like the kid. Yeah. Oh. And, but it kind of like in a way made me, made that moment feel more innocent and like vulnerable. Yeah. Well, but, is your voice cracked? Like the kid yeah, was going yeah. through puberty. Yeah. <laughs> And I just hope people could have heard it. <laughs> I'm sure very few did. Well, this was me in the dark caddy corner from you as that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you at home who might not be able to see this, I just gritted my teeth. Yes. <laughs> oh, gotta you got to love the Zoom conversation. Anyway, going back, uh, I, I don't want to talk about video games the entire time, although I could totally talk about video games <laughs> the entire time. You're right, though, about the emotional connection of it. So like mm -hmm. I was saying earlier, like I'm just playing sports games as a young kid, and then as time went on, I got more and more comfortable sure. with other versions of it. Like, if it's a well-written game, and you've got mm -hmm. a well-cultivated character, um, in certain cases like Skyrim, where you can create who you are and a lot right. of all of your choices right. fucking matter like that's a game that i i will admit is a beautiful game to play i can't get through it because it's just hard because <laughs> everything freaking matters but then yeah yeah sorry but, but like it, you it is a it is a piece of art like there's Definitely. no denying totally. it anymore i remember the first the first game that i realized that was shadow shadow of the colossus on the ps2 I've got to play that game. Fuck, fuck. That that was the first game. And very, very, quite a while before games were, like, now I think people are starting to see that they can be taken seriously and mm -hmm. be an adult, mature story and something that can really be impactful. But that really made me realize as a kid that this can become something that can really be very, have the same emotional complexity that, any other art form you know totally absolutely i mean it, in a lot of cases now i mean like even nba 2k20 and in the, the latest version of madden has a story mode yeah and yeah I mean, they it's it's all taken from you know one of them was written by fucking spike lee right yeah <laughs> i played that game the fucking spike lee coming out here making an nba game yeah <laughs> and it's really, uh, I won't go into that Rubik's Cube. I'm going to stop myself before I deep dive on that. 
Uh, but it's, oh man, it's, it's crazy how even the sports games, even these, I don't know, less than thick, less than deep story modes yeah. still have an impact. And they, they, they are successful because they keep coming back for more every year. Right. I mean, the right. game doesn't change that much. Yeah. That's another tangent that I don't need to go down. F you, EA Sports. <laughs> F you, 2K. Step your game that was, up, please. That was why I eventually stopped playing the uh, – I didn't play sports games. I was always really terrible at them. But I, I played the fucking uh, WWE games Ooh, growing man. up. Man, those were two, – WWE 2007, I think, was like the one that was like, hmm, hmm. Mount Rushmore wrestlers. Oh, 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 easy, easy. So I was always into DX okay. with uh, fucking Triple H and uh, Brett Shawn Michael. Shawn Michael, Jesus Christ, yeah. Shawn Ma- so those two are like right up there. And then I got to go Ric Flair. <laughs> like just a classic. Woo! Just a classic, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, just because he was in uh, Spider-Man, as bone saw yeah um the macho man randy yeah, said macho, yeah macho okay yeah fuck yeah and and not only that but like have you seen in his interview where he's like on cocaine the whole fucking time <laughs> clearly it was clearly, every that, okay. wasn't that every interview every every but there's one that's very clear he's drinking like coffee creamer or something like that he keeps pulling out yeah <laughs> I, i've never seen that he keeps pulling out coffee the cream of the crap right. yeah yeah Oh, oh the raises. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't mess with me because I'm the cream, baby. Yeah. And I just heard my voice doing what that. What a guy. You should probably stop the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll fuck uh, up. Just my, my Mount Rushmore, um, because I've, during this lockdown, I've been watching a lot of wrestling videos. Um, shout outs to Christian Mast. He's a big wrestling fan. Mm. Um, the Undertaker, number one. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, his, it, his entrance, he knew how to make an entrance. Fuck. Oh, I know that he, his character is why I got into wrestling. I, I, I guess like, he was the goth in me. Right. Like, okay. Right. He'll be all the goth I can I can handle, and I'll and I'll just I'll I'll dive into that. Um, <laughs> and number two is going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh yeah, hell yeah, yeah. Um, number three, probably. Um, the ultimate warrior i love the ultimate oh warrior. really yeah that was I, 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 he was one i never quite got into you know he you know it, it, I, I as i've looked over it he's he's getting smaller and smaller like his his, his stranglehold on his spot on this mount rushmore yeah. mine is getting weaker and weaker like yeah. it's just not it's just not, not there anymore and then uh and then brett the hitman heart yep yeah, what's funny that. is that the reason that I said Brett Michaels is because I always think because Shawn Michaels, he's got those hearts on his pants, mm-hmm. and I always want to say Bret Hart, and I always like get their names fucking mixed up because Bret Hart was a fucking legend for sure. He's a legend. He's a legend. He passed away last year though. Yeah, two yeah. years ago. No, Bret Hart is still with us. Oh really? I thought he. I passed think he's away still with us. Year. The Ultimate Warrior just died. Oh okay. Okay. Yeah. You know what's but funny? Dropping to me, like flies. Yeah, I know. Do not watch the Vice story about Chris Benoit. Don't do that. Okay. Dark. Uh, um, anyway, um, I find it very interesting. Sorry, real quick. 
that Dude. neither of us brought up the most successful wrestler of all time, fucking Dwayne Johnson, who <laughs> has yeah. taken off in this like crazy way, but he's he's kind of fucking boring, man. He's he's in, in my my opinion on The Rock, the character that he cult, that Dwayne Johnson cultivated, yes. yeah, is a poor man's Razor Ramon. Oh, interesting. Like he's a more relatable Razor Ramon, and I'd never like Razor Ramon. So I'm okay. like, oh, it's yeah. just the same guy just watered down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. That's all no. he's done. He's been very good at becoming very accessible to everybody, but that yeah. makes him very plain. It's practiced. It's a practiced image. It's a motif. Mm-hmm. And and I follow him on Instagram because I think Dwayne yeah. Johnson. Yeah. I mean, I think genuinely is attempting to be a good person and that like you're no, putting forth the work on that buddy i'm gonna i'm gonna support you but the only reason why i liked him as a wrestler is he sold every power move to the nines mm. like things that shouldn't make a person jump off the floor after it's been done just like yeah flying all over the place and he was great at that that, that is true that's very true yeah but i mean it's 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 a fake endeavor, and those are some of the best actors um, out there. Let's let's be real. No, and, they uh, really they real. It's a craft. It is a craft. Yeah. Like the, oh, yeah. they're doing a live performance every night that is extremely mm. physically demanding and requires precise movement, and you have to execute everything accurately, or else somebody breaks their fucking neck. You know. You're going to get hurt as a wrestler no matter yeah, what. Yeah, it's going to happen. Of your career. Mm-hmm. But your career could be shortened if you're not yes. practiced. If you don't rehearse it, mm-hmm. if you don't block it. I mean, Brett the Hitman Hart got a got a, a, a stray foot to the face and got a concussion <laughs> from Goldberg. Like, dude. Mankind getting tossed off the top of the uh, the cage the first time mm. was completely like I should say the second time that wasn't supposed to happen. He yeah. wasn't supposed to go through the gate and then onto the mat. Like they <sighs> thought it was going to support him going down under the cage yeah. again, and then that just being the end of the match, <laughs> and that he almost died. A tooth yeah, went course, through his lower from his lower jaw up through his lip on that last hit and on that graphic note <laughs> theater how theater. did it happen how how did it happen um yeah so it, it really was i think it largely comes from a place of a little awkward boy just being lost and like it you found your thing you know mm-hmm. um i was 14 and for most of my life like up to this point i had been very overweight and not treated the best because of it a lot of times in school, you know, like, mm-hmm. like it does. That's, that happens. Um, <laughs> and then I shot up to like six foot eventually. And then all of a sudden I was very good at football and which I had done for a long time. And I had realized that being very good at football, which because that was where I got made fun of the most because it was all like the really masculine machismo guys, you know? Yeah. And like me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I realized <laughs> that all of a sudden when I was good at that, it didn't bring any sort of happiness though. You know, mm-hmm. it didn't 
bring me any joy to be as good as the people who spent the last fucking five years making fun of me for being fat being like welcomed into their little social hierarchy level mm -hmm. didn't do anything for me but at the same time i had done a show um where i got to play dr jekyll um in like middle school this is like eighth grade it was a mm -hmm. i mean a watered down version of it um but it was very cool because i mean i had done maybe you know show in elementary school or whatever but like to be given like this lead role with this incredibly for eighth grade it's a complex story arc you know and you're playing a character who overgoes change throughout the story and it was the first time that i really felt like one i had a voice it was the first time i got to be loud anywhere <laughs> and just like use my voice and my body in this and you're listening in an interesting way you know yeah. and then um let's see they i think it was like the first thing that just like really clicked in for me and i had a community you know i felt like the people who i was around were people who felt the same way that i did you know because the people who are in theater are usually the outcasts and the misfits and all of a sudden i had grown into this body that like i didn't know what to do with yet and yeah. <laughs> and i was so awkward and uncomfortable and i realized that oh all of these people are so obviously going through the same shit and not pretending not to like that's mm -hmm. the thing like all the jocks they pretend not to be going through fucking puberty and the awkward phases but these kids they can't because they all look like dorks and so do i and i finally found like my place um more you are smoldering sir Oh, thank you. You're I welcome. shouldn't have cut off all my hair. <laughs> so no. That's the only problem with my appearance at the moment. But <laughs> no, no problems at all from where I'm sitting, brother. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but when when it really when theater like really consumed me, because then it was like mm -hmm. just a fun hobby, and I thought it would just be like what I do in high school. But then I had this really excellent teacher my freshman year. I only had her for one semester, Heather Dahlberg. She was the first person in my life who I couldn't just skate by. Ah. I couldn't, I couldn't just fucking, cause I was, I was a very good student and I could not do any of the homework, show up, ace all the tests and still get good grades. Same, you know? same. Um, yeah. And I could just fucking go through high school like that. That was fine with me. But she was the first person who, didn't let me give anything less than coming in completely prepared and ready to go every day and leaving everything on the stage. Hmm. And the fact that like, I got to realize the work that it takes because it's fucking hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think the fact that it was the first thing that really challenged me and just really got, you know, my mind like really active and really engaged into something um i was like by the end of that class i, I was decided that i had to become an actor by the end of that semester nice um, and that was in high school i was in high school yeah i was lucky enough to know what i wanted to do by the time i was 14. <laughs> dude which 
a lot of people don't, but I was very lucky. I'm I it took it took me to my you know fucking senior year in college to get that, that. And again, it took a teacher that wouldn't let me just coast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it, it's it's so I mean, I one of my favorite quotes um from any thing in life it comes from Futurama, the other uh, Matt Graney production, um, not The Simpsons. Um, where Bender floats out into space and encounters God and, and he's, he's questioning God on all these things. And God goes like, when you do things right, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. Like hmm. and, and that, that, that speaks volumes. Like if you just show up and you, you do the bare minimum, people don't blink. Yeah. Like you're supposed to do that. Right. Like you want a cookie for you know getting through high school like that's you yeah. should you should be doing that unless unless you've got a magical talent that's gonna you know pay the bills for you know the rest of your life sure you should have an education like you should show up for your kids so, you know that's your job if, as a parent like you mm-hmm. got to like good for you but yeah and and when you find somebody who even in those moments or in everything else is willing to challenge you to do those things to the best of your abilities and then yeah. learn what you don't know so that you can be even better the next day. Like those people are important. So shout out Howell tonight for the teachers that, that challenged you to oh, do yeah. more. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Eight o'clock. Five minutes later. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Just about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it but was anyway. funny because I, I was even put, I was put under a weird microscope in her class because I had joined a show choir in eighth grade because she was, I mean, she fucking did everything. She was the uh, choir teacher for eighth graders and the high school. And then she ran the drama program and the musicals and like plays and shit. Very busy woman. Um, But I had joined the show choir and it was like a class that you only took like once a week, like during lunch, you Mm -hmm. know, like a really weird thing. And like halfway through, um, she stopped showing up to class. And I was like, oh, why, why isn't she showing up to class? No one really knew, but she just wasn't there a lot. And, um, and then the like one or two weeks that she did show up, like all the other students busted their asses off to be ready for class and to have the choreography and singing as close to where they could go without a teacher. But mm-hmm. I didn't, and I, was, I wasn't prepared. Um, and so I like walked up and I was like, I don't think I can do this. I'm going to leave. I later learned that the reason she wasn't showing up to class was because her entire family died in a plane accident. And Jesus, yeah, really horrific thing. But she still made sure that she was there for the, uh, opening night of the play that they were doing at the high school, you know? You didn't and, back out, did you? You you followed. Uh, no, I learned that after the fact. Oh man! If, if I had learned that, you know, while yeah. I was there, I might have been a little. But it wasn't. I think I had to fail then because that was an incredible learning hmm. thing. Yeah. And then when I show up to her fucking drama classes as a freshman, and after that is her impression of me, it was mm-hmm. like she she really like kind of treated me a little bit differently just to be like we're gonna push him to see does he actually give a shit about this and does he actually Mm -hmm. belong here you know absolutely 
absolutely. And I was talking about it yesterday um, after a performance um, that we do through the uh, COVID-19 theatrical response team. Um, shout outs to them. They are great. Please follow us on Facebook. Um, where it, any form of art medium takes commitment. It takes buy-in, right? Yeah. And if it takes a while for that to like get sorted out and found within you, then it takes a while for that to get sorted out and found within you. Right. That's, that's fine. I mean, you're here now, you're making a freaking effort of it. And uh, like, that's, that's the important part. Like it triggers something within you. Mm -hmm. You, you, you make your steps when you're ready to take those steps. And I, I think and even are, then, you probably don't know that you're ready for it. Right. Oh you yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I, I didn't think that I would be ready to be sitting in my basement going over monologue, my final, you know, freshman year monologue thousands and thousands of times over and over again, like four hours a night to make sure that it was right. Yeah. No. Um, but I think that what's interesting is that I feel like I've had to, at certain points in my life, go through that process over and over again, mm -hmm. you know, cause you get stuck in, say a show that you don't really, eh, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of, eh. I don't won't know what they, that's like at all. Won't, yeah. Won't bring up names, but <laughs> yeah, Rubik's cube, Rubik's cube. But you, you go through that and it's, and then you lose a little bit of commitment and you, or, and you just don't feel that motivation. And you have to rediscover that again when you re-enter something that you really fucking give a shit about. It's like, oh, no, wait, I do like this thing. This is the level of effort I need to be putting in, you know? Totally. Totally. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that is always something that I've always dealt with is I, 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 I vacillate between insecurity mm. and extremely passionate about this thing. Yep, and and I and and for for my ghosties at home, like who've listened to me from Jump Street like three years ago, mm -hmm. and for my friends who decided to humor me and listen to the podcast, <laughs> like they know that I I you know I strive to be the best because I'm afraid at sucking, <laughs> like I'm I'm terrified yeah. of it. Yeah, and when you are constantly Absolutely. pushing a boulder up this, this imaginary hill that you've created and to try and be quote unquote, the best to, to be great at, at art, you are going to burn yourself out. And me, yeah. and I'm not saying that's what, you know, happens to happen to you or happens to anyone else. Like this can definitely be my struggle, my own thing that I'm dealing with within. But even if that's not the case, you do have a standard of yourself. I'm trying to be as prepared as possible. Right. Take as many risks as I possibly can. And when you are doing all of your homework for a production that, as we've probably all encountered, not <laughs> quite up to snuff, mm -hmm. that gets exhausting. It, it does. And it absolutely does. Yeah. But I think one of the things, that, especially that I've I've been learning through this lockdown um mm. is that i'm still honing the craft even if the piece 
the, the, the format through which I'm performing isn't perfect. You sure. still got to sharpen your tools. You still got to be present. You still got to do the homework. You still got to be ready. Like those things don't go away. And, and, and I bring that up because I think the most important thing for any actor to do when they're confronted with a situation that is less than perfect, less than their ideal world of performing, it is still an opportunity to perform and it is still an opportunity to be sharp and to sharpen those, those skills. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. That's, that's, that's a, a great lesson because like, I feel like I have had those. <laughs> there was one show in particular. I actually don't mind saying what show it was um, because Dude. they get, they get shit on a lot. Uh, <laughs> it was a show with a company. <laughs> Uh, company. Ooh, they were doing a very strange version of the dark side of the moon, um, which is a cool idea. And I'm yeah. sure it was a good show at one point, <laughs> but I, it was like the first show I had gotten when I was living out in LA. And like, I realized by the end of the show that I, I hadn't done my job fully, mm. you know, I did, I didn't do my job. Mm -hmm. I showed up, I brought my baggage onto stage. I brought my own personal shit and I'm sure it showed to the yeah. four or five people who came every night, <laughs> but I'm sure it showed. And you should see even those four or five people, this exact same way that you see that you would see working at the Denver center or the Arvada center. Absolutely. You should see it the exact same way, you know? Yeah, um, I've been watching the. Quite learned that. Uh, I said no, I just hadn't quite learned that at the time, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, important to go through, though, you know. It really is. It really. I mean, because listen, it is a lot of fun to be an actor, to be an artist that that gets to be different people every oh, night. Yeah. Like, that's that's yeah. fun. Like, that's why it sucks people in. Right. Like right. At the bare minimum, you get to be somebody else. And then at the end of a show, you get to meet so many cool people. Like that's legit. That's a legit thing. Mm -hmm. We get to meet amazing people. The people that stick around after a show because you moved them. Are oh, cool. it's, it's the best. Yeah. yeah. And that, 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 that means something. And then like the people that hang out later that are at, at the bar mm -hmm. even if they're not drinking like you're you're having these great conversations usually about you know the art or what you've got next or so on and so forth and that is fun and that is intoxicating that is important but it's like I, I think I was talking to Erica Fox about this a couple episodes ago for me and I think for the people that last the longest in the industry, it's the work. Yeah. And it's, and it's parsing through your shit. As important as your shit is, it, it, it's important, but you've got to parse through that and you've got to make choices and you've got to dig deep and you've got to find similarities and you've got to, and you've got to make your people fit the director's vision and be comfortable with that vision as well and you know buy into that it, it, that finding that stuff out the three weeks the two weeks depending on your process <laughs> that stuff's important 
and, and and that's the stuff that i think we we all have to get into and it's i'll be the first to say my first goal ever when i was acting was just to be the first off book i just wanted oh, to get off book interesting if i got off book boom then then the rest of the, the then the then the director would tell right. me what to do like i would figure it out based off what he or she told me to do right and as i got older i realized like you got to do some of that too mm-hmm. because you will encounter directors who process differently that's and good they think that's your choice and that's your choice okay i can work with that i'll give him a couple of notes steer him in the right direction but otherwise he's got to come up with something oh oh sure yeah yeah it, and, and it's that's that's the stuff we're diving into yeah being being somebody else takes work it takes practice yeah yeah finding finding this whole other human being in the bits and pieces of your own personality is an insanely confusing thing and actually i was listening to um the sam gregory episode uh earlier today uh like i was telling you and i realized that him and i he was talking about um which i feel the same way that i like rehearsal more than i like performing Mm. and i don't think there have been very few shows that i've liked the performance over the rehearsal process um the only one i can really think of was cabaret that i did at town hall Mm. um that that one was just such a blast to perform but for the most part like i that was what really made me want to fucking do that. Like the diving into just becoming another human being. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, the end of the day, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not just the lines. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's, I mean, yeah. the best playwrights have the, I mean, they think differently and, and, and sit in their chairs differently as they create <laughs> their different characters. Like they, it, it varies from, from sure. person that they're putting on the page. And if that happens, then as an actor, it should be different than just getting the lines memorized, yeah. knowing where the punctuation is. And that <laughs> stuff is important. Some it writers is. write with but, the punctuation in mind or the way that person speaks. Like, that They're giving you the tools to do that. You, you want to dive into that stuff. And you don't get to dive into that stuff on opening night. Not no. necessarily. Yeah. You want to be dialed in. You want to be feeling openly on opening night and for the course of the run. Like you want to be present because somebody might say something differently than they've ever said it before. And you want to <laughs> respond to it that way. Right. Right. Like whatever that manifests for yourself. You don't want to <laughs> you don't want to ignore it. But it, there's there's work. It, it, it's it's grit. It's hard. It's you're building a house. You don't get to live in it until closing night. <laughs> oh, that's a really cool. I think you've told me that before, actually. But that's that's such a great quote because it has to be this ever changing thing through the whole time. Like your show should grow and your show should change throughout the process. Um, but I actually had a question for you. Go for it. Um, what 
would have been one of your most like something that an actor did that the biggest thing that threw you for a loop that just really just twisted a wire <laughs> um i was doing a production of the cliffhanger and this this line was delivered to me by this actress and and she she wouldn't look at me in rehearsal like she she mm. never said this line which is supposed to hurt me she never looked at me and like again like i'm not the director maybe it's not supposed to hurt me it felt like a, a it, it felt like a pinch yeah every time she said it and the fact that she wouldn't look at me really pissed me off and we kept going through it, 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 it and it pissed me off through the through the lens of the character i wasn't sam oh, wasn't sure sure but the guy i was playing was like fuck it you're gonna say that and not look at me like she would say the line and then like walk to the other side of the room and never make eye contact with me. And then one night in the performances, she said it and I had had a rough day before I got there. And uh, I didn't check that shit at the door. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, like, I broke character and, and like I went, I went all Heath Ledger on her. I was like, look at me before I responded. And that's, I think that's one of those things where it's like, if we had practiced that in rehearsal, like her saying it to like, yeah, Here's the eye. This yeah. is how I feel about you right now. I would have been, I would have been prepared for it. And like, I, I, Mel, uh, the more I talk about this, this sounds like just you know Sam Gilstrap trying to get right about something. <laughs> I, I mean, no, there. I mean, honestly, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just feel like. I've never been encountered in a moment where I'm not happy with the way I responded. Mm. I think that's the best way I can answer. Oh, you threw, so you threw yourself off more than anything. Yeah. I, that's what that moment was in huh. the cliffhanger. I was, I was trying to direct it from my spot yeah. and that's, that was never yeah. my job. You, you you realize that you had like overstepped bounds as an actor essentially. Totally, totally. I mean, me and you worked on a couple of productions, and in both instances, back to back, baby. Yeah, back to back. <laughs> fucking Casa and United Flight. Hustling. And there have been moments. Yeah, fucking. Do, you know, we're we're putting in work. We're not we're not we're no slouches out there. We're grinding. Um. And and there were both there were moments in both processes where I was not happy with choices that were being made and the way we were being handled, and we can talk about that after the podcast. <laughs> recording. Rubik's cube moment, uh, things yeah, that we Rubik's <laughs> cube moment. And it's not to say that I'm not thankful for both opportunities both, and very yes. thankful for both directors and yes, thankful for absolutely. the actors involved. But you know, I'm I'm a I'm a creature that has an ego and I had an, I had expectations right. about things. And it, anyway, how this where I was sitting there really different for everybody. Yeah. I'm trying really hard in certain instances to not say something, to not try and dictate it. Right. And the reason why I'm struggling with that is because it's not my job to direct the piece. 
Yeah. And, and that's taken me years. It takes me show from show to constantly remind me that I'm not in charge of that piece. I've been a director once in my life. Once. And I haven't directed since and or, or before that. And that's ne- not necessarily my choice, but it's been it's just been the the, the thing. I've 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 held the title of director one time. Outside of that, I can't I can't dictate any of that. I've got right. to do my job. That's why I'm brought there. Hmm. Yeah, and exactly. What about you? Has there been a moment for you where you were was you know not as pleased with the choice you've made? Um, I think that there was a moment that it, it, this comes to mind because I was actually pleased with my choice, but I wasn't pleased with how people had reacted to my choice. Yeah. Um, and not even on stage, off stage. Um, I had made a choice that was outside of blocking. You think you know about this one, but I had made a choice that was outside of the blocking and um, everybody backstage, they were like, Oh, you know, why did you do that? Why did you, you know, and like we were giving me shit for it. And I was like, it, it just made sense in the moment. And I feel like there's a really interesting line between doing something that is, is directing yourself and is selfish acting in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There's such a fine line between that and doing something that is coming purely from the character. And I had totally felt like that's where I was coming from. But I feel like the other actor, and it was such a small little thing, you know, yeah. small little blocking change. I had like gotten up in a place where I was just talking throughout. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a weird, a weird balance that you have to find in, in those sorts of things and how the other professionals around you who are all working wonderful professionals, how they're going to react to that, you know? Yeah. And it's, it was kind of an important thing to learn though, because even if I think, or you thought, or somebody else, one of the other actors thought that it was a good choice. If three of the other actors are so frustrated with it, then maybe that wasn't the most cohesive thing for the room or for the stage of, of, of us actors that I should have done, you know? Yeah. I, I know the moment you're talking about. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm not on stage for that moment. And one of the things that struck me about that, that whole kind of thing, is it, I, had to, I had to remember an instance where something similar happened to me in a show that I was in. And um, so let me answer this in two parts. I'll tell you the story that it reminded me of, and then I'll talk about that situation. Because <laughs> this is my podcast, and I'm going to run my mouth. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was doing a show over at Miner's Alley, Night of the Iguana. And oh, my favorite, I've got a group of actors that I fucking love. I just... Oh God, no matter what they do, 
I, I, I want to watch it. I got to see it. And, and that list I like to think is small. And one of the people at the top of that list is Cajardo Lindsay. And he made a choice one night in a week before tech rehearsal that was different than it had been every night. Clearly a man working a moment. And it triggered another actor. And it was a whole conversation. And it ended the notes period of at the end of rehearsal. And I was sitting there and I was dumbfounded Mm. because I was like, this should be the time where you get to create those moments. This this is the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's rehearsal. We're practicing. The space for trying shit. Trying shit. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to figure things out. And so that whole, whole situation, like it painted this extremely different picture to me. And I'm like, I'm going to side with my man on this one. Mm. I've got until opening night to get things dialed. In. Right. And there are specific things that I need to have dialed in. And that takes an actor to understand what your tech side is doing, what your director wants from the moment and what the rest of the actors get to do as well. And then to answer the moment that you were talking about specifically, you had the light. Mm -hmm. The light's not dictated by your movement there. Yep. And as far as I'm concerned, you are Simba. Everything the light touches is (laughs) yours. Right, right. It's not like it fucked with anyone's line. Absolutely. It was on your monologue. It was on my monologue. It is incumbent then on the other actors to respond. Mm. If you're prepared enough, you can roll with it. Now, I'm not saying you get to do that in every fucking moment. Right. Every single night. Don't just wing shit. You but know? you're not, you shouldn't be subject to fucking ridicule and judgment. Mm. And if we're, if we're playing this honestly, This is how I'm going to answer this. If I'm a director, I'm going to have a stage picture in my mind for specific moments. How you get to that spot, I'm leaving up to you. Mm. And what I am then asking of my actors in the scene, in every moment, is to be fucking prepared and to be fucking ready for any change, any deviation. You've got the lines. You've got your parachute. It's not going away. Be there. Be present. Keep it, keep it as real, for lack of a better cliche, as you possibly can. Now, if you had delivered your line, poured yourself a drink, and slapped a character, obviously, you've done fucked up, Archie. I can't have your back. <laughs> sure. Sure. Oh, shit. Oh, did you not cover your wine? Nope. We're good. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> Just move the table a little bit too much. That's <laughs> totally fine. I mean, I, I, I think that's what it is. I mean, every conversation I've had and every interview I've watched with other actors and every private conversation I've had, I've learned one thing. 
an artist grows in the moments where they're unsure of their next step. Yeah. Trust yourself enough in that moment as you're talking to move Mm. in a different way. Do it. I'm, I'm convinced that everyone that was on stage with you in that moment is a superb actor. Yes. They can roll with it. Yes. They can roll with it. Yeah. What, what often gets in the way, and I'm not going to say that this is specific to the people that gave you shit backstage. What I'm going to say is that what gets in the way sometimes is that we've been taught something. Right. This is your blocking. This is the way you go about the scene, which is a valid thing, you know. That's important. I'm not knocking that down. But we're not. I mean, fuck. I I remember I had a conversation with Christy Montour Larson when I was taking her directing class at Metro, and I said I want actors whose hands I don't have to hold on every (laughs) moment. Yeah, every little fucking thing. Yeah. And I'm saying that as a 22, 23-year-old director Mm. student, directing student, because I have faith in the actors to be prepared. Yeah. If if the director is doing their job on opening night, they're ready. Yes. That's exactly true. And that was something that I actually learned working with, a director who was also in the show. And so just from a very basic standpoint, wasn't able to give the same amount of direction if he had purely been the director, right? And so there there was something very nice about that as an actor because it was like, oh, this director trusts me to show up and be fully ready to put in just as much of that work and not have my hand held and just just be there and be present and ready um and there was something really really cool about that because we were even able to make little tweaks throughout the show mm-hmm. and the director wasn't sitting in the audience watching to tell me that it was wrong <laughs> yeah. and but that kind of that kind of freedom is and that it it's, it's, it's a collaboration between the actor and the director. And it okay. should be. It's not a dictatorship. It should be Absolutely. this process that all of you are working together to craft this, this thing. And what the actor thinks about the script mm-hmm. and about the character is completely valid because they've spent the last fucking few weeks getting into the character probably more than the director has in many cases, oh. you know? Because well, we I mean, focus in on this one character, whereas they're focusing in on the entire story. You got to see the whole painting. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I, I, I would say, I mean, for those of you listening at home, I think what, what, what me and Archie are talking about is <laughs> Nolan Void in two instances. Mm. A specifically stylized vision. Sure. A, B, C, D, and so on has to be followed in mm-hmm. a stylized vision of the piece. Yes. And then the other thing is a fight, a fight. Yeah. Or an intimacy moment. Yeah. 
because somebody's don't, gonna get fucking hurt. Yeah. Don't yeah. I I fucked yeah. around and and got into a thing with another actor in mm. one moment because mm. he had he had stumbled on some rocks. And I went with my gut because he brushed into me to push him. Not a stage thing. Yeah. We didn't stage that. And his beef with me afterwards, a hundred percent valid. Mm-hmm. And that's because I did not adhere to our fight choreography. Yes. Yeah. You you want to fuck around with fight choreography? Go the hell out. Get yeah, the hell out. There's of the here. door. There's the yeah. fucking door. Get the hell out of here. Because yeah. I'm not trying to put myself in harm's way. And with that being said, um, uh, one of the things that came out after um, the the Joker movie was that Joaquin Phoenix's fights were sometimes ad libbed. That that pissed me off so much. Yeah, because I, 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 oh man, it's such a great <laughs> fucking performance, and yet you're gonna put other uh, artists in harm's way head like that. Yeah, exactly. Because you think your process should supersede that of everyone else Stay in me. the show. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so we're not doing that's that. so selfish. We're not doing there be, that. There should be very honestly, there should be very little about our craft that is pure selfishness, because it's all about empathy. That's that's the whole thing. The whole, the whole thing is about stepping into the shoes of other people. That is raw empathy that you have to be doing. And if you, when you start to let go of that and become one of these actors who does stuff like that, or even some ways that Marlon Brando behaved a lot of times on set, get the fuck out of here. Wow. <laughs> like, I mean, that's. I think that's one of the things that. You know how a person can be standing in line at Starbucks and then have have Karen cut in front of them? <laughs> when, the, the K word setting off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you encounter that type of yeah. person yeah. that just doesn't care about for la- I mean the truth is if you're willing to do that, you don't care about other people. You don't. Maybe you care about your family, those that you've put time in, but you can, if that's the case, then you can never say that we're in this shit together. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. We're, uh, I mean, it's just like, yes, your process is important and your method is important. And that's fine. Yeah. yeah. That in a way that doesn't fuck with other people. Yeah. It matters. <laughs> It yeah. matters, but it doesn't supersede other people and their choices and their methods and their process. Another great example of that is another actor playing the Joker for some fucking reason. But when, uh, uh, what's his name? The Jared Leto was playing the Joker and was sending people fucking like used condoms and like sending actors or like throwing fucking yeah. big bodies around and shit. It's like, you have your if if you're one of these guys or folks who's very very method yeah that's Don't, that's that's great do it in a safe way though let me let me be abundantly clear about jared leto playing the joker no <laughs> no she's not a single choice was genuine in my <laughs> as an audience member not a single choice that he mm-hmm. made touched me no, it was all so self-involved. So oh, clearly, it was him. It was him just fucking jerking off on the camera. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's just like, shoot, 
I think Jared is a special talent. Him and Dallas Buyers Club, I'm going to give him oh, props for that. He crushed yeah. that. I couldn't do that he, right now. No. He's fabulous in Blade Runner uh, 2099, 2049. Yeah. Fantastic in that. That's perfect. Yeah. And I know when you get touched with, like, when you get presented, hey, they're going to give you this contract. You get to be the Joker. Right. You want to do something important. Right. Especially following up Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger, Jack Nicholson. To me, Jack Nicholson, his balance between the the clown prince of crime. Yeah. Which is what the Joker is. Fucking spot on. Right. Spot on. And And then Heath Ledger doubled down on the darkness of it. Go ahead. I was saying even Mark Hamill's Joker on uh, the animated series. The ability to find this complex, yeah, crown prince of crime, just complex character just using his vocal yeah. skills. Yeah. So I, I mean, so I get it. I get wanting to do something different. And I get wanting to be like edgy because it's this edgy role. And I even get like their character design was different, interesting. Not what I would have done. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But like, fuck, man, come on. Absolute respect for the people around you and who you're working with. That's that's why we don't talk about the DC universe anymore. There's some there's some issues. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing that sucks is that it, it, it's affect, it's affected my favorite DC characters. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, the Justice League comics are way better than Avengers comics. Totally. That's that's just a fact. They're cooler characters with awesome powers and should be very achievable with modern technology. But I'm going to line up for the Marvel movies before I'm going to line up for the DC movies. Fuck yeah. No, all day. Mm-hmm. I, I cried during Infinity War and you best be well sure I cried during Endgame. <laughs> oh, totally. Absolutely. You can rest now. <laughs> Anyway. Um, we 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 distracted ourselves. I, I mean, what we're talking about, and I don't want to say that I think like that's that tangent does not to say that Jared Leto is a, a selfish actor. I'll, I'll have him on the podcast and ask him about that later. <laughs> but um, I, th- I think it's just every to be an actor is to not be separate from the rest of the world to yeah. be an artist not yeah. separate you are you're an, you're an observer of the human experience whatever your medium is yes and to be an observer you also have to acknowledge how you are as a human being mm. and if you are a selfish human being i often i myself will believe that you'll probably be a selfish actor yeah yeah. And and you might be great at it and you might be able to create a career out of it. <laughs> but what I will tell you is I, I, I couldn't make the same career for myself. Yes. The, no, I, I don't think I could ever go down that version of, of our work. You know, mm-hmm. something somebody told me something once that reminded me what you were saying leading up to that point. Actors who just act are boring <laughs> because you have to be experiencing 
and you always have to be experiencing new things and being a part of the world that you're trying to reflect. And it's, and that's something that I like to, to think about whenever I consider like, oh man, I, I, I think about this a lot of times when I'm on stage where I think if I just woke up here every night, was on stage and then it was just turned off until the next time I was on stage, I think all the time about how great that would be <laughs> and how magical that would be. But the reality is, is that I would never like have any honesty. Like I would never be able to create something, you know, mm. unless you're a part of our story of human existence. You have to be a part of the world. Yeah. Um, I, my favorite times to be an actor are the summer times right now because I, I, you know, I work in a school and then I get my summers off. Oh, right. Right. And then all I get to do is like think about the work, the character. Right and live in that and the rest of the stuff kind of gets put on gets put on the shelf it does yeah oh and, yeah and so i'm i'm, I'm That's more the fucking dream free. i got my days to get memorized and then i've got my nights to try shit mm. and uh i mean when you are creating a character you have all these different variables a person is going to be different from me and, and from you and they're going to create how they create and that is to be commended and i think i think in all honesty i think the art of an actor is not what they see on stage as the final product but the understanding that how they go through life is how is as different as how somebody else goes through life and yet both are important and should both be experiences that are shared when you tell a realistic piece, you tell it with respect and reverence. And when you tell a, you know, a magical play with music and song, you're doing it with respect and reverence because that is how somebody else saw the world. Like life is beautiful. And at no point is any one person's answer for how they see life the end-all, be-all. But it should be listened to. It should be heard. It should be seen. So that you, at the very least, have that perspective by the time you make your next step in the world. That might be kind of went off on a on a zone out <laughs> tangent i apologize no no i i uh yeah just that's i mean that's really the magic of it you know and it, it's it's so i mean we wouldn't do it if it wasn't magical because it's not from from most standpoints and like things that we measure as something being worth our time it yeah. really shouldn't fucking be <laughs> it's not very much money it's it is late nights when you have to get up for your normal job the next day by by all accounts it shouldn't be something that that we want no. to do and not only want to do but thirst and hunger and would be willing to murder for <laughs> but, but we do because that. it just 
so there there's something magical that happens in that room yeah. and that that can't i i feel like during this time right now you know you see people doing doing staged readings and doing or on zoom and doing so i guess it's not staged readings but you know what i mean yeah. and for me it's 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 great and i love that they're doing these things but it's like it's not the same <laughs> when people oh, are, yeah. you know, you, it's, yeah. the, it's the most beautiful thing is when we all get into that room together and just get to tell fucking stories about what our lives are like, you know? Absolutely. Dude, I felt, I, I mean, I've, I've been thankful and lucky to be sharing a roof with somebody who created a means for me to perform during the lockout the lockdown mm. um and and because of that relationship i've been able to do shows and i as you listen to me talk to sam gregory i talked about how it's not the same it's different it, it, it doesn't oh yeah doesn't that's scratch that's all the itches mind. yeah and uh, like i said i was talking talking to a group of people yesterday after i got done performing in a piece and it was like and as i'm talking it's when it dawns on me for all the shit that all the shade that I'm trying to throw on this medium because I can't wait for real life to come back. And that's <laughs> the truth. I cannot wait for real life. Yeah. I want to go outside without a mask and without gloves yeah. so much. I crave that. Nope. I want to go back to my office. I want that so much. I don't want to think about risking my health for the love of another woman for just a night. I want that to be a, a mistake I can make on my own. <laughs> but what are the circumstances that I am presented with? What am I given circumstances? <laughs> I am in my room. I have a PDF copy of a script. I have been given a character. The rest is homework and relationship tactic wants needs the director is telling me to get prepared i have to follow the script so i'm not thinking as the line as the cue line is delivered to me zoom or these other websites that people are using right are capable of having people talk right on top of each other Boom, 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 boom. If you're sh if you're sharp and you're thinking on the other person's line, you get your cue. You're going. Mm. You got the opportunity right now to work on the craft, to hone it, so that when you get your next opening night in real life, right, get to be alive with people again. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna be flat out to all my ghosties at home who are who are actors. If you are not chomping at the bit for your next opening night, yeah, that's if you're not if you're not excited about the opportunity to grind and get ready for that night, get out of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Get out. Because here's here's the thing. I understand I understand one perspective that's like, okay, right now life is filled with so much uncertainty and anxiety that they don't have that some 
folks don't have the mental energy myself in many times included don't have the mental energy to put towards our work at the moment. But that doesn't mean that at night, I mean, I always think this when I'm like coming home from work because I get off work now, usually at like around six and I'm like, this is when I would be going to rehearsal. This is when I would be going to a show. I I haven't been home at night (laughs) for the last almost two years, you know? And it's, it's, like that's just not not having that to look forward to is is the most difficult thing right now and you know we can for me like the biggest thing that i've been able to finally do is catch up on reading plays because that's something that i usually only read a play if i'm gonna do the play (laughs) um you know and and so now i can finally but and reading it's not as great as doing it <laughs> you know and read well, the best books in the world archie i'm challenging you i want you to send me three different monologues one classical one modern and then one of your choice send those to me over the i'll give you i'll give you a month okay Ooh, how fun that's right. your challenge give me send three different monologues you, memorized you, like perform, memorized and performed yeah and you send me the video okay yeah. All right, that'll be fun. Fucking do it. Fuck yeah. And um, for every monologue you give me, I will send you one as well. That's a deal. Okay. It's a fucking deal. You got my email address. Yeah. And <laughs> I was surprised you still said, had mine. What was that? I said I was surprised you still had mine. <laughs> Come on, baby. Come on, baby. I ain't forgot about you. I ain't forget. We took drives in the car together. I ain't forgot about you. We we spent a lot of time together. That, That's right. Those two shows, we were we were hanging out all fucking day. I remember like those days that we would have rehearsal in the morning and then go do a double. Yep. Here in Denver. I mean, shit. We we had a rehearsal in Boulder one day before we had a double down in Littleton. Yeah, when my face was fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Your face uh-huh. is not fucked up now. You are still a sexy beast. I, it's it's really interesting that you have seen me at two very interesting performance lows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, those those were two of the the craziest experiences that I've ever had on stage to try to get. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember this track? <laughs> that's that instagram store vi- or snapchat or whatever that we did <laughs> yeah uh that we subjected the cast to yeah the foo Fighters. there goes our hero <laughs> um, before i get to our rapid fire questions mm-hmm. and and the like um last time we spoke it was in the it was in the green room before an audition at the denver center yeah, and you told me about a process at Vintage Theater mm-hmm. that changed your life. Yes, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what was the show? Uh, what was that like? The show was Boys in the Band by Mark Crowley, who actually half a tangent for one second. He passed away a year from like the weekend of opening night. Mm. So. Uh, it, it was like two months ago 
but he passed away exactly a year from when like we opened the show which is really really insane but anyway um so boys in the band by mark crowley it was the first show to show gay men openly being themselves in their space you know none of these a lot of tennessee williams plays for example they have a lot of gay men who are closeted or you know yeah. it's sort of hidden and you figure it out throughout the script it was the first show to really show gay men out in their lives and it takes place during uh this character harold's birthday played by the wonderful bobby bennett uh who is one of my closest friends um it's his birthday party and it's this character michael putting on the show um so it's it's just a group of gay men during a birthday party and they have their drama and their intrigue as as we often do <laughs> and i was at the start of the show i was like maybe there's something there you know maybe there's and i knew from casa that there was this other part of me that i that i had known was there for a long time but letting that out felt fucking awesome like casa you know we weren't homosexual but we were men wearing dresses and so we were accessing this incredibly vulnerable effeminate part of ourselves and so by the time that i got to the boys in the band i was actually very well set up and emotionally ready to realize that i was bisexual and I was in like the most wonderful room to do that because not only were, was the director, you know, Bernie, he's uh, certainly not straight <laughs> and the no, whole cast, I do what I said, no, he is not. <laughs> the whole cast is, I love gay. that man. Yeah. Oh, love Bernie. God. I, he's, great to reach out to people throughout this also i would just quick shout out to that and how wonderful that is um but uh oh, i lost my train of thought now thinking about that wonderful guy uh, <laughs> um oh the whole cast was gay and so i was in probably the safest space to go through something like that like i didn't have to come out i i tried to come out in high school actually because i thought that I was bisexual, but I hadn't really figured it out and I hadn't really run the gears through. And I told my parents and their first reaction, which they didn't know what to do. So I don't want to make this sound, you know, like I'm frustrated with them. I'm not, you know, I, I've had that frustration with them their, But their first reaction was to take me to a Catholic priest and go through counseling through the church to basically yeah. Amp that down essentially, nip it in the bud. Yes, exactly. Um, because they didn't really know how to deal with that, and that's that was their only method of trying to help. Um and so it it went went right back into the closet, went through college, went through all these things, and and then I did this wonderful show and it showed me because so many of the characters, there's this one character, Alan, who's straight throughout the whole show, even though it clearly hints he's homosexual and the things that he does to hide that and the things that the characters talk about. Um, 
their past selves about how they push that down and push that back. Um, that I really got to be in the safe space of the theater, doing the thing that I love and go through this complete change in my life and this life change. And I ended up in a sort of relationship with one of the cast members, which, you know, you shouldn't fuck your cast members, but, <laughs> but, you know, I was, uh, I was throwing it out there. <laughs> and, I saw what you were wearing. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a fun joke. Sorry. <laughs> Should have seen what he was wearing. Goodness. No. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> to you, fam. It, yeah, it was something that, I mean, yeah, it changed my life. And actually, John Moore put it really well. Um, he said it wasn't life, or no, it wasn't um, art imitating life. It was life imitating art. Mm. Um, which was exactly like what I had gone through my whole year last year. Mm. There were, that wasn't the, there was Casa and then there was, and then I did got to do cabaret about a closeted bisexual, you know, Cliff is clearly fucking guys and then ends up in this complicated volcanic relationship with this woman. And like, it, it was so weird to, for the whole year, like be able to discover my identity through my art and also feel very validated because there were stories that I felt put part of me was in. Mm -hmm. Like representation is so fucking important. Yes. So important because I probably wouldn't have gone through this and it probably would have stayed in the back of my mind until coming out in an explosion, you know, years down the line, ruining a, a marriage, you know? That's what happens for so many men. Yeah. Um, and people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just yeah. tells you to be one thing your entire life. Right. Right. And if you prescribe to that because it's what what everyone is prepared to accept, mm. then then you run the risk of of hurting people, hurting yourself down the road. Right. I'm right. I'm I'm a cisgendered male heterosexual sure. man. I, sure. There's there's very little that I can you know I, I I can like empathize with in this in this journey that you undertook. But when we're talking about representation, it is important. Theater, TV, movies. Yeah. Stories need to be readily available. And when you are an actor going through that and you get to you get to live that coming of age, coming of self, like that's special. And I'm happy for you. Yeah. And I'm and I'm honored that in a in a in a green room that you felt like you could share that with me. Well, yeah, at the time I was actually just very excited. Because <laughs> I felt I feel like we're we get along well, you know. Yeah. We're we're two yeah, chaps. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, I was excited to see you. And I was like, oh, this thing, this thing happened in my life. And it's yeah. awesome. I will say, I don't want to make it sound like it was a fun <laughs> thing to go through. There were times, oh. that, moments of fun. 
Yeah. Um, well, dude, that's the lights were off, but <laughs> it was also very uh, obviously emotionally like like a bomb went off in your life and in your brain and in what you think of yourself that you finally let this flood of personal information and personal understanding out. Um, and there were, there were a lot of peaks and valleys emotionally in that. And that is something that I, if there's anybody struggling with that, whoever is, listens to me ramble on about stupid shit, uh, <laughs> let let it hurt it's going to and that's that's okay because on the other side of that is going to be a more complete version of yourself that feels fulfilled it's it's like discovering acting for the first time in a lot of ways where it's like oh this is this this is what i've been fucking missing this feeling of self and of what's going on and just being comfortable in who you are you know, it's it's very much that same feeling. I think that's why, honestly, in a lot of ways, theater is, in many ways, stereotypically a draw for a lot of LGBTQ people. But that stereotype, I feel like, exists largely because it's a place for people to be openly themselves, because that's what the job is, <laughs> is you just being unabashedly who you are. and And that's why I find it so wonderful that there are so many LGBTQ people in theater because it is a doorway to that understanding. So. I'm, I'm so happy that you said that. I'm so happy that you unprovoked told people to go through it, to, to get through it, to fight through it, to, to love through it. Is love it? is love and lust yes, is love. lust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't. And, and lust is great. Don't get me wrong. Dude, <laughs> oh, my last relationship was lust. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's a powerful thing. It, it's not something to be ignored in most cases. Right. Um, right. It's, it's important because, I mean, sometimes love can be fine at the end of that road. Right. But I mean, to be. To be honest, I mean, it's just, I mean, I, thank you, Archie. Thank, oh, thank you for giving a, a nice little platform for that. I mean, it's, yeah, oh, I, I, that's, I'd like to think that that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that I started creating this because uh, it's not just about, I, I, I so easily can fall into my journey, right? It's easier. Right. For, an individual to fall mm -hmm. into their thing and if i'm if i'm gonna get to where i want to get it's because i i i i asked the questions of the people that i respect and admire and wanted to get to know and sometimes i can't do that in rehearsal and sometimes i can't do that after a show but it's a lot easier to do that with a glass in my hand and a recording device between us right so thank <laughs> you for sharing that with us um now we get to the fun part. Hit me. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Oh, yeah. All right. Number one, where do you get your news from? Um, I mostly, <laughs> I mostly get my news um, oftentimes from Facebook, and then I will go to the New York Times article. 
or the this or that article. It's not a great way of getting your news. And then I also am signed up for a couple of different organizations or a couple of different, there's like Yahoo News and some things like that that pop up on my phone. It's, this, is, this is it. This is where I get it from. Okay. No newspapers. Who needs a fucking newspaper anymore? Comes up in the morning. Comes up first thing I see is all the coronavirus updates right then and there. Get out of the way. You know? <laughs> Nick, no judgments, man. No judgments. What movie do you think deserves a sequel? Iron Giant. <laughs> Hell yes. Great fucking movie. They leave you on a, the cliffhanger of him being put back together. Oh. We need to see another one. You know? Brother, yeah. Uh, we can go for another hour talking about Iron Giant. <laughs> What is your phone backdrop or wallpaper? Spider-Man. It's always whatever Spider-Man movie comes up next. And so right now it has been um, um, far from home for about a Let year. See it. Let me see it. My phone's actually dead right now. So Fuck you, see. Archie. But it's, it's the one with him, uh, Nick Fury, and Mysterio. Um, it's, a very, it's a very good, uh, it's just the poster, you know? Oh, okay. Okay. Which living musician would you pay the most money to see? Um, it's funny because it's the only artist that I have like this. This guy, Jeffrey Lewis. Um, very unknown kind of guy. I, and I'm not like the kind of guy to like find like weird little art, like weird musicians that nobody's heard of but but he's the one yeah right. yeah he has a so great song about the quarantine called um um keep it chill in the eastville should look it up great song yeah um i'm gonna challenge you i'm gonna tag this on facebook on one of the tags that you're accompanied to or mm. a part of um please put comment a youtube video to jeffrey lewis absolutely yeah thank you sir um, what stupid fact do you still have memorized from elementary school? From, oh, from elementary school. Or middle school, high school. I mean, you know, it's, it's the, the, the big one, the fucking mitochondria is that, oh, no, 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 it's um, Y equals MX plus B. What right? Right? Yes, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it has to do with fucking arcs on a fucking graph, right? Like, oh, is it math? Is it math? It's fucking math. It's some stupid math shit. Yeah, I just, we'll remember, I just remember that y equals mx plus b. Who cares? Who cares? I, I, it's it's like the angle. Not, I, don't know. I I I stopped doing math my sophomore year. I was done. Hey, all, once I learned how to count money, I was good. Mm -hmm. That's that's all I needed to do. I do it every day. Um, I'm gonna need cheese if I'm baking a ziti. Anyway. What conspiracy theory do you kind of believe the most? Mm. Um, I can get sometimes after a couple of drinks, like I oftentimes don't believe this, but I can kind of, the, the government kind of like let 9-11 happen a little bit, uh -huh. <laughs> you know? Like that. Two videos you've been watching. All right. And it's not even that. It's just, you know, anyway. Yeah. Who is your first celebrity crush, Archie? Oh, um, probably Natalie Portman. The oh. first, the first movie that I was taken to 
as mm-hmm. as a child was Phantom Menace, which is is a questionable film in in places. But you, um, you were close to her age during that time, yeah. Oh no, I was like two <laughs> when that first movie. Out. But hey, baby, in that case, swing for the fence. Yeah, I know, right? But like, also, like that's part of it was that. Anakin was like nine and she's 14 and you know you could just really just hey George Lucas did a lot of terrible things with that movie and that is definitely one of them one of the uh, yeah I mean as just a as just a young human male oh my god being drawn to Natalie Portman I I can't fault you at at the age of two if you're like 40 we got we have to have (laughs) a conversation and I probably, you know, it, you you grow into like those attractions, and so it's probably a couple years later that I was like, "Man, I uh, my four or five year old body wants to do things to that fourteen year old." I was I was twelve years old when I fell in love with Marilyn Monroe. Oh God, what a great! So, yeah, I mean, I saw some like it hot, and I was like. Mm-hmm. <gasps> A beautiful blonde? What is that? And then I became a cliche. Right. <laughs> and, but, right. hey, anyway, moving on. What's your favorite word? Oh, it's one that I uh, don't say anymore. <laughs> it's the, the C word. Now I, say C, now I say see you next Tuesday. Oh, okay. Which is a great way to say it. But, however, I, I for a long time, felt... Like that was one of the uh, the like really bad words, you know, quote unquote, that is a little bit more acceptable because it's only really not accepted in the United States. And in a lot of ways, I felt like it sort of was similar to a Karen kind of thing where, you know, it was a lot, mostly the people who were offended by this were the first wave white feminists who are problematic for not accepting or not really working for i'm gonna let that be your favorite word anyway that (laughs) i don't i don't openly say it and i i love that i have to give like the whole explanation for it yeah (laughs) because Um, yeah get ghost ghosties at home four or five whiskeys your hate mail to rcr to let and but then i will be the first to say as much as i enjoy saying that word (laughs) The origin that the people pisses off the most, I will never pick a fight with because it's yep. it's a it's an interesting um, yeah but part of our then, own lexicon. Then there was there was this gal that who I'm still kind of seeing. Um, we're we're in something of an open relationship. Um, she she was like she swayed me in the other direction, and I it took me some time to realize that like, okay, if this is something that hurts people that I care about, that means it's something I should not say. And, and it, it's hurtful. And so I shouldn't say it. The, the, I find the best time to say that word is when you are with a group of your uh, um, same gendered friends mm-hmm. and you're uh, quoting a movie, Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> and what's, what, it's very acceptable to be you. You you hear it a lot in the gay community, Is it? Um, and especially if you go watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I mean, okay. it's very it's very widely used, and so I I think that it was part of like coming out was just saying the c word all the time, mm. and uh, and then I realized that it it is kind of a shitty word, 
So just just use it down at Charlie's if you know where that's at. <laughs> well, if you're in Denver Theater, you know where Charlie's is at. Um, last two questions. Um, shoot, we went through the yeah, we went through those. Um, Archie, what's your uh, what's that ghost light you wish was left on for you? Oh shoot, you you described what this question was about can you repeat <laughs> it again absolutely what do you wish was that little piece of advice you had gotten oh yeah that's right um the the piece of advice that i wish i had gotten was stop fucking caring about your auditions not 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 in being prepared be prepared be do all of those things totally. but once it's done don't don't give a shit anymore walk out go go get yourself a coffee Go do whatever you have to do to let all of that shit release and then try, try not to think about it. It's going to, I mean, you're still going to fucking think about it, but I have found that every time that I have gone into an audition or, or a callback and I'm like, this is the role. This is the role that I want that I see myself in and I just have to have this. And then I spend weeks just ruminating over it and thinking about it. I don't get it. I don't book it with that mindset because you're clearly become insecure during the audition and during the callback and you clearly become ingenuine, you know? Mm. So we'll stop caring about that. Just good go do call, it and, and leave. Good call. It's a good call. An audition is just an opportunity to perform. Yeah, exactly. That's, a way better way of seeing it. And not only that, but especially if it's one of these roles that like you really want the character, then it's an opportunity to go play that character. You, well, if, I think what happened is like, I mean, when I, when I've, when I've felt like, Oh, this is the part. Oh fuck. This yeah. is it. Yeah. When I've gotten into that headspace, I've started taking the job personally. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, what you have to understand is that like you're, if, if you're the actor auditioning, you're not the one making the decision. It's not your vision that's being produced. It's somebody else's. Yeah. If, if you get comfortable with that and you can accept that and you can go out and audition and treat that performance as it is a performance and be happy with that work. That's, and that's usually when you fucking book it. Yeah. <laughs> when you treat it that way, when you treat it professionally and you don't take it towards this weird personal intimate place and you just do the work let the yeah. vulnerable intimate moments come from someplace real through the character not through your own insecurities on on stage so anyway absolutely and beat that all um, day an inside joke to all my ghosties is hashtag froggy is british sam gilstrap um anyway um archie thank you so much for being with us tonight thank you i do apologize that unfortunately this is just the reality of being in quarantine at the time because yeah. if we had been doing this you wouldn't hear a three-year-old in the background sprinting around i hope there wasn't too much of that no and, I'm and the air conditioner came on and i was trying to yell over it so i apologize but thank you so much for having me on this has been a while coming i mean we talked about this during casa and yeah. so I'm glad we finally in my car. We talked about doing this. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things I love talking about doing the I mean, podcast. And then yep. it's like, when am I comfortable enough to do it? And so right. It's, right. It's, 
I'm I'm glad I got you here now that we actually are able to talk about it. I thank you for being um, so willing to share with me parts of your journey, especially this most latter half of the podcast. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the the actors Archie Archuleta, Archuleta, please go out there and support him the next time you see him cast in a show because when we get back to real life, that man will be getting work. Um, no question about it. Um, again, the song is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Um, please go out and download that or follow them on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you decide to stream your music. Um, the podcast is the Ghost Lights podcast, not to be confused with the Ghost Lights series. I cannot stress that enough. We've been here longer and we will be here longer in the future. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm signing off. Dan, do the damn thing.